folder. If you haven't checked in on Facebook yet, go ahead and do that real quick. Uh, but, you know, when I was preaching Sunday, I said if I could do a part five uh, to this message, it would be about time management. Well, hence, we're going to talk about uh, biblical truths for redeeming the time. You know, the Bible talks about redeeming the time. And so, you know, what does that even mean? We're going to answer that question tonight. Uh, you know, we're going to answer the question, does God really care how we spend our time? Does he care? You know, does he care how we spend our time? And so we're going to look at the Bible and see what it says. Obviously, I'm not smart enough to do it any other way. And, uh, and so the term redeeming your time comes from the book of Ephesians. And so we're going, to, we're going to read that passage. But Paul's been teaching about grace in chapters 1 through 4. And then he reminds us of our status as dearly beloved children, Ephesians 5.1. He said, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. And he says this, because you are his what? Dear children. Think about that now. That's different than, than the view some of us have grown up with, maybe. We're God's dear children. Now, you've got dear children. I, I used to say, hey, you know what? I, I really think probably it means grandkids, because I would say stuff like this. I thought I understood God's love when I had children until I had grandkids. And, and grandkids get stuff out of you that your children never could, right? You know, and, uh, and so, but that's, that's what he's saying. You're my dear children, and I love you. And, uh, and so what should our response be to that status? We're God's dear children. What should our response be? So Paul answers that in verse 15 of chapter 5. <clears throat> he says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Now, let me just key you into how I read Scripture. When I'm doing my daily devotion time, my, my reading, when I read that verse, if I'm reading that verse in the morning, it's like, Lord, okay, help me be careful. And then I don't want to be that fool. I, I, I'm praying while I'm reading. I'm, I'm saying, God, let me be that wise person. Show me. And, he, and so... You know, when you read that, let it speak to you. He said, don't live like fools, but let those, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Underline that, make the most of. He said, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So making the most of every opportunity in some translations, like the King James, would say redeem the time, redeem your time. And, uh, and so... In the King James, or New King James, it says, walk, see that you walk circumspectly. Anybody know what that means? Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. See, we want to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, Paul's saying that part of our response to the gospel when we accept Christ is to say, hey, I want to make the most of every opportunity to redeem the time as I serve the Lord. And, uh, and so here's what that means. We're to manage, write this down. We're to manage our time as carefully and wisely as possible. We're to manage our time as carefully and wisely as, as, as possible. He wants us to make the most of every opportunity. That Greek word, to redeem, uh, uh, means make the most of every opportunity. And, and, and so redeem, uh, you can see the, the Greek word here. If anybody can pronounce that, just have at it. But it means to buy up. Or to ransom. It means to buy back, to buy back. And so when you're redeeming something, how many of y'all, I won't ask for a show of hands because I might be the only one who remembers these other than maybe Joe over there, but it, we used to have these things called green stamps. Kids, y'all don't know what that is. But our parents would keep these green stamps 
and you go like trade 500 books of them and get a mixer or something, you know what I mean? You know, and so you would go to the green stamp store and you could redeem your stamps. That's what you did. It's, it's to buy back, to redeem. And, and, uh, and so we would do that. And, uh, and so if you ever said, hey, look, I wish I could buy more time. Anybody you wish, ever wish you, had, you could buy more time? I was thinking of that way uh, Sunday evening and early Monday morning when I was preparing for a Corinthian class. I teach at Bridges Bible College. I'm going, Lord, I need 12 more hours before uh, four, four hours away, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so we've all, all wanted to buy more time at some point. That's kind of what the idea is here. And as Christians, we want to buy back as much time as we can. Why? Well, it's not so we can just pursue selfish things with our time or self-centered pursuits. We're told to redeem our time, but look what he says, because these days are evil. How many of you would agree we live in some pretty evil days? I mean, you know, they just arrested some serial carjackers, but it's been crazy here lately, and that's just here. It's all over. Uh, We live in some evil times. There are people who have no conscience uh, on anything. They'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll kill, whatever. And, uh, and so we live in some evil days. So he said, buy as much time as you can, make the best of your time, because we're, we live in some evil days and we're running out of time to do what the Lord wants us to do, which is see as many people repent and turn to Christ as, as possible. And uh, we're living in the last of the last days. So how do we redeem or make use of that time? So we're going to look at some different aspects uh, tonight and in, in the coming week or two. And we're going to look at Jesus and how he used his time. Now, you don't think of Jesus as a time management example, but, but really he is, and we're going to kind of see that. We're going to look at his life. If, if you read the Gospels and think about this, Jesus in three years achieved more than anybody ever has. I mean, he paid the sins for, for all of us, and he started a revolution that has over 4 billion people in it right now called the church. And, uh, and so we're going to look at that. We're going we're to learn from him some of the principles that we see in his life and how we can apply those in our life. So let's look at the passage uh, we're going to look at. Luke 8, it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling up with water, and they were real in, da- in real danger. Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's a lot like Lake Pontchartrain. It's a, sa- a shallow lake, and when the wind kicks up, it gets real rough real quick. And uh, matter of fact, the first time I was on the Sea of Galilee, that's the way it was. We were on one of these very bouncy boats, and we were reading this passage, and I'm thinking, but Jesus is not in the back of the boat. I mean, you know, this thing's bouncing all over the place, and and, uh, and, and plus, the one they were in was probably smaller, so they're, they're about to sink. They're in real danger. Now, I mean, you know, and it starts out, though, you got Jesus in the boat, right? And you're on a sunny day, and you're heading out across the lake. And then the storm comes up, and they're thinking they're going to die any minute. And uh, they're bailing out water. I mean, you got a bucket, you got your hat, whatever you're doing, you're trying to bail water to keep your boat from sinking. And, um, and so... Finally, in desperation, they woke Jesus up. And, uh, and Jesus, uh, you know, he, they couldn't fix it. So they finally, they turned to Jesus. Here's what happened in verse 24. 
said the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm. All was calm. See, the problem was is they were trying to fix it themselves, weren't they, instead of going to Jesus first. And uh, I did a sermon one time, if Jesus is in your boat, it's not sinking. You might get a little wet, but it's not going to sink. But anyway, uh, so, you know, here's the point. Write this down. Jesus offers peace before you do anything. They didn't take advantage of that, but he offers peace. Now, they had a peaceful little ride for a little while. It was so nice. Jesus just took a nap. He was tired from ministering to people. He was 100% God, 100% human. And so Jesus would get physically tired, physically hungry, just like we do. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, they didn't want to wake him up. But when they did, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and they, which scared the disciples nearly out of the boat. I mean, they're going like, who is this guy that even nature obeys him? I mean, think about it. If, you're, if we were all in the boat and it was storming and, and, and all of a sudden somebody said, all right, wind, quit, and it just quit, you'd be going, whoa, whoa. You know, and, and that's kind of what they were doing. I mean, you know, and so Jesus gives us that peace. And, 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 uh, and, and, and when, when he gives us that peace, when we start from a place of peace, it comes from knowing Christ, that comes out of the worship like we just had. And, and then you can do the time management stuff from a right priority, from a right priority. Look at the disciples in the boat. They didn't, they didn't do anything to calm the storm. They didn't do anything to fix the problem. All they did was they trusted Jesus to calm the storm. And you and I can do the same thing. See, we don't need to be like the disciples that were bailing water as fast as they can and then turn to Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus first and trust that he can calm the storm. By trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, look at this one, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. And I, and I love this, this, this idea, this verse, Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. And here's the thing. He said, you've been made right in God's sight by your faith in Jesus. We have peace with God because of what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. We don't have peace with God because of anything we did. We have peace with God because of what Jesus did. And, uh, and, and it has nothing to do with what you did about how many times you go to church, how many Bible verses you got memorized, how, how good you've been, how bad you've been. It has everything to do with receiving the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so write this down. It's not, I don't think it's in your notes. Peace comes first, not second. Peace comes first and then the works. Peace comes first and then what you're going to do for God. And, uh, and so you need to understand that mistake we often make is thinking that peace is a result of the things we do. We think if I read the Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I, if I witness enough, if I serve enough, then I'm going to have peace. No, he says, I'm going to give you peace. Then you can do all that stuff. And you do it with the right motivation. You do it with the right motivation. And, um, and so we need, to, we need to understand that. See, good management tactics will never be your source of peace. Uh, you know, as Christians, our ultimate source of peace, the ultimate solution to our life being swamped 
is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God who's sleeping in the back of the boat because he's got it under control. He's got it under control. Like Paul said in Ephesians 2.14, he said this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated them. And, and so that was a, a racial reconciliation thing that happened there between the Gentiles and the Jews. But Christ is our peace. He's our peace. He's the one that brings us peace. And so, you know, he, he's the one that makes us part of God's family. And since we've been established as parts of God's family, and, and, and let me tell you, what you, what you receive by no, no virtue of anything you do, you can't lose by virtue of what you do. So just because you blow your horn at somebody on the way home don't mean that you've got to get saved all over again. It might mean you might go to the hospital because they might shoot at you, but uh, don't blow your horn at anybody these days. So how do we manage our time better? How do we manage our time better? Uh, number one, write this down. Our longing for productivity is good and it's God-given. I think lately work's been getting a bad rap or something. I don't know. It seems like there's not a lot of people wanting to work. Uh, you know, I was watching, um, I don't know if y'all have ever watched that, that show with Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs or whatever the name of it was, and all these jobs. But, man, some of those dirty jobs pay really well. And uh, if you've ever had a plumber come to your house, you know, or an electrician come to your house, you know. And, uh, and so, I mean, they, somebody said, man, he only worked 15 minutes. I had to pay him a hundred and something dollars. I said, yep. <laughs> don't you wish you were one of those, you know? And so, uh, you know, but, but um, our longing for that productivity, God's given that to us. You know, see, it's not just we want to live forever, but we want to be productive forever. And you might not feel that way every day because sin made it more difficult. But something inside us and in God's Word shows us that work was meant to be good. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It said, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. That's in chapter 2. Man sinned against God in chapter 3. See, God put work into creation before sin. Work predates sin. And work was meant to be good. That tend or work is the Hebrew word avodah. And it also is translated at times worship. Your work, work was, you know, it predated sin. It was meant to be good and it was part of worship. We worship with our work. How do we worship with our work? By doing it as unto the Lord. When you go to work, you take care of the little things when nobody's watching because you know your Lord is watching. And, uh, and so that's what that's talking about. And so I believe the desire to live and be productive of ever was put in us by God. Look what Solomon said. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Underline that in your, in your notes. He's put eternity in your hearts. What's that mean? It means you're going to live forever. You were created immortal. See, God, something in our God-given DNA tells us we were made for something more. You know, we, we, work, we work and we're limited to time in our mind. But our souls feel something different. Our souls feel something different. So why is time finite? Why is time finite? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Number two, write this down. Sin has ensured that we will all die with unfinished work. 
Aren't you glad you came to church? You're going to die with your to-do list. It's still going to have something on that thing. I know some of y'all, that just drives you crazy. There, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, man, I have like zero on my email. I said, really? I got 23,000 on mine. I mean, this is, he said, do you not ever delete them? I said, no, I probably should. But, you know. but sin is ensured that we will all die with unfinished work. Look, when sin entered the world, death came in with it. Look at this. Genesis 3, he said, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will what? Struggle to scratch a living from it. It was easy before Adam just stood there and ate that apple or fruit or whatever it was. See, while the, while the devil was tricking Eve, Adam's sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. One time Pastor Kathy and I went, we went to one of those home shows in the Superdome. Any of y'all ever been to those? The home shows? We don't go anymore because here's what happened. We go down there and we're looking at cookware. And she says, all right, look, we'll go look at it, but you've got to keep me from buying anything. So we're looking at it, and, and we're not married yet. And, and she says, what do you think? I said, well, I'll give you $500 if you buy the big set. You know what I mean? We were just like, we, were that, we had that mark on us, man. These guys will buy, you know. And, and so, look, you know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. (laughs) You're going to struggle to scratch a little bit from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. You will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and dust you will return to. Pastor Kathy's dad used to always say, mud, M-U-D. That's what you are, mud. (laughs) Say, we're going to return to that. You can also see this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said this. So you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, through Jesus. So death came in through Adam, and and eternal life came in through Jesus. And so we were created to be immortal. Then because of our sin, we became mortal. He said, you will die if you sin. And so death entered the world. But work was created to be good, and it became difficult because of sin. Time was originally created to be infinite, but it became finite because of sin. Sin has fixed it to where none of us will completely feel like we've completed all of our dreams and goals before we leave this world. And and so if you're not depressed yet, I've got more. I mean, you know, (laughs) our to-do list will not be completely completed. I mean, just think about it. Uh, there's, There's a gap between what we imagined happening and what actually happens. Now, thankfully, here's the good side. I'm going to get you back up. Get you back up. I'm going to get you back up. Sin doesn't win. Say it with me. Sin doesn't win. Sin doesn't have the final say. Look at number three. Say, God will finish the work he wants finished. So when God leads you to do something, he's going to finish it. I might not finish it. Look, David didn't finish the temple. David gathered the materials. Solomon, his son, built the temple. See, God created us to live forever. Sin made us mortal, time-bound, and finite. So where's our hope? Our hope is in Jesus, who walked out of a tomb on that first Easter with a redeemed body that could no longer be hurt or destroyed. And uh, Jesus, his resurrection body, uh, was immortal, and he's declaring victory over death. He's, He's declaring that, hey, look, I put eternity in your heart, 
and you're going to live forever, and, uh, and you can have life in me. He restored the eternity in our lives, the immortality in our life. Easter isn't just the beginning of eternal life. It's the beginning of God's eternal kingdom here on earth. So what does it have to do with time management? Here's what it has to do. God created you and I to live and work in a perfect garden, right? Sin messed everything up. But God promised to send a king to set everything right. And with his defeat of death on Easter, Jesus proved that he was that promised king. And everything from that moment to the end of Revelation is about building God's kingdom until Jesus returns to finish what he started and makes all things new. So God started it, and then he turns it over to us for a little while, and he's going to come back and finish it. Look what Revelation 21.5 says. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making what? Everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He's saying, look, I'm making everything new. So listen, in the end, everything God wants done is going to happen. I want to set some of you free. You don't have to complete your to-do list. God's going to do it. See, God's got a to-do list, and his to-do list is going to be completed. And, and, so, uh, and so you need to understand that. So let's look again at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says this, Paul said this, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. He says this, Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So everything we do for God is going to be fruitful, he said, work enthusiastically for the Lord. And let me tell you, that word uh, work is, is talking about our work. It's not just talking about our good works as Christians. It's talking about when you go to the job tomorrow. He's saying you work enthusiastically. And then in, in, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, for we are both what? God's co-workers. Uh, and, uh, and he said, and you're God's field. You're God's building. See, we're God's co-workers. See, God created a whole lot of stuff in six days. He created the world in six days. What's equally, I think, remarkable is what he didn't create. So what did God not create? Well, the first few days, God was setting up like a picture, like a canvas. And on the sixth day, he passed the baton to you and me. He passed the baton. He told, he told Adam and Eve, now go fill the earth and subdue it. He created it. He told people, he told men and women, now you go fill the earth. What that literally meant was to continue the work, to fill the earth with things that point to his glory. See, that's what God did. He started it and turned it over to us. So we've got work to do. Now here's the good thing. He's coming back and he's going to finish it. He's going to finish it. We've already seen that in Revelation. The same thing happened on Easter Sunday. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom with his resurrection. And so what did he say right before he left? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He handed it off to us. Jesus started the church. said, now y'all build it. And I'm going to come back and finish it uh, when the time is right. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, said this, God always wanted to work in his world through loyal human beings. 
through loyal human beings. And, uh, and so listen, God's going to come finish the work. It's not us. God's going to redeem the world, create a new heaven and earth. Revelation talks about that. And let me tell you, that ought to be freeing for some of you that feel like we've got to do it all. God doesn't need you to complete your to-do list to complete his work. He'll take care of what he wants to have done. And so ultimately, there's no such thing as unfinished work. If God desires that work to be finished, guess what it's going to be? Everybody say it with me. Finished. It's going to be finished if God wants it finished. So whatever God wants completed is going to be completed. That needs to set some of us free. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard for the gospel. That doesn't mean that we don't want to serve God and, 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 uh, and do everything we can to see our loved ones come to faith in Christ. But that liberates us from the burden of thinking you have to complete your to-do list, that it all is on you. Number four, write this down. The gospel is our source of rest and of ambition. See, God doesn't need us to be productive. But if we're honest, we need to be productive because that gives us a sense of self-worth when we're being productive. And, and God has wired us that way. So, But knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're part of God's family, frees us to be productive for the Lord for the right reasons. And there's a big difference in me trying to work, trying to please somebody, trying to gain their favor, and working because I've got their favor. And working because I've got their approval. And working, you know, listen, it, when, when you're working for somebody you know that loves you, cares about you, and, and, and they're, they're affirming you, and no matter what you're going to do, they're not going to fire you, they're not going to kick you out of the family, that's extremely motivating. It's the unconditional love of God. And, and, uh, and so you, you, don't, you can't work to gain faith, but that'll wear you out. And some of you get worn out trying to earn God's favor. And nothing we can do will earn his favor. Because the Bible says my best is like filthy rags to the Lord. My best is like filthy rags to the Lord. It's unconditional love of God. It motivates us. So what's God's agenda? How can we work to redeem the time? Well, Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, he said, We are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can what? Do the good things he's planned for us long ago. In the same way, Matthew, and Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now let me just, you know, we, we, when we read these verses, we're thinking, okay, it's my good deeds, my, my Christian behavior and all that. But, but these good works, it's more than just a Christian good deeds. It actually means... Let your work, let the work you do at the job, let, when, you're, when you're putting in a new floor, when you're putting in painting, when you're hanging sheetrock, when you're, when you're working at your plant, when you're doing whatever you're doing at work, he said, he said do it, do it good. Let your good deeds shine so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. I, I used to, when I worked, when I first went to work in, in a hospital, I was, I was cleaning floors. I could tell you some horror stories about that, but. Um, the first few days, first three days were terrible, and uh, and uh, but but I would I would go clean a carpet in a room, and I wanted it to be so clean that somebody had to notice it. I want I wanted it to be noticeable clean, and man, I'd I'd clean those carpets. We had carpets in all the hospital rooms in this in this 
hospital. And, and uh, believe it or not, they're actually easier to keep clean. But, but we, I'd go in there, and I mean, you, couldn't, you could eat off of it. And, uh, and, and, and I wanted somebody to notice it. And that's what he's saying right here. Do it in a way that they're going to praise your Heavenly Father. And see, it opened up witnessing opportunities because when people would make a comment, I could say, you know, well, I do it as unto the Lord. What? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and you can do that. See, but he's talking about your work. So we need to go to work as if our supervisor is Jesus, is what he's saying. So work was part of God's perfect creation, and it was part of his creation before the fall of man. It was only after Adam messed up that it became work, that it wasn't fun, that, you know, all that stuff. And, and so, uh, you know, Jesus reaffirmed the goodness of what many see as secular work by spending time in secular work. He worked for 30 years as a carpenter. I mean, some, some, some theologians believe Jesus may have helped rebuild Herod's temple, that he might have been a carpenter working on the temple when he was young. But we do know he was a carpenter. We know most likely that his father, his earthly father Joseph, died when Jesus was 12 or 13. And with younger brothers and sisters, Jesus probably had to help Mary raise them. He was the supporter of that family. So don't think that he doesn't understand what it's like to be an older brother having to take care of the younger ones, feed them after they get home from school, you know, or whatever. So Jesus knows. He knows what we're going through, right? And, uh, and so he said, he said, you work as unto me. And so we do the best we can. Number five, we need to look for ways that we can use our time wisely. We can know how God would manage his time. When the creator and author of the world became one of us, became flesh, uh, look at John 1.14, it says, so the word became human, the word is Jesus, when you see that capital W on word, the word, Jesus became human and made his home among us. See, does everybody understand Jesus pre-exists the baby birth? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity that was there when the world was created. He's equal to the Father, and He's equal to the Holy Spirit. They're the Trinity, one but three. He said, when the Word became human and made His home among us, He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. See, when Jesus became human, He, he, he became completely human by remaining fully God, and you know what he did? He experienced the same day-to-day challenges the rest of us face. Uh, I don't know that they had alarm clocks, but they, the sun came up pretty early. And, and he had to get up and go to work when he didn't feel like it. He put himself into our time. He had a business to manage. He had a mother to support. He had younger siblings to help raise. He got hungry, uh, working hard. He had, you know, he, had to, he had to sleep. He felt tired just like the rest of us. On the human side, he had to steward his time on earth just like we do today. Jesus went through all of that identifying with us. You'd see it through the Gospels. John 9, 4, it says, We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. So the night is coming. He said, while it's daylight, while we have the opportunity, what does it mean? Make the most of your time. There's a time coming. There's a time coming. I never would have thought you'd see pastors getting arrested in Canada or Baton Rouge or California for having church. 
but they did in the last two years. You know, uh, you know, a time's coming. We've got an open door. That door's not going to be open forever. In John 17, 4, Jesus said this, I brought glory to you here on earth. He's talking to his Father. By what? Completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus did what he came to do. Now, how many of you think that Jesus' day and time can't compare? It's like they don't have the Internet. They don't have TV. They didn't have the Saints. They didn't have LSU. They didn't have any. They didn't have these phones. And, and so didn't have, a, who said that? Uh, all that, didn't have, you know, stuff like Nick Satan and stuff like that. I mean, um, so here's the thing. You see it time after time when Jesus is doing, going places. He was constantly interrupted. He, one time he was going uh, to, uh, he was going to a, a high profile uh, person's house, his son, Jarius, his son was sick, and what happened? Somebody threw themselves at his feet once, and then another lady, she just touched him, and he, he had to stop and say, I just healed somebody. Who was it? And I mean, crowds are all around him trying to interrupt him all the time. He handled all of that, and, and, uh, and he had to make choices about his priorities, and, and he said no to people. He said, you mean Jesus said no to people? Listen, if Jesus had healed everybody, you remember the story where Peter's at the temple, and, and he goes, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. If Jesus had healed that dude, Peter wouldn't have been able to do that. There were still people needed healing once Jesus was gone. And, uh, and so Jesus had to prioritize. He had to prioritize. Look what, uh, look what Hebrews 4.15 said. And we have a high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He, he understands exactly how it feels. I think he understands what it feels like to hit your thumb with a hammer. Okay, uh, he faced all of the same testings we do, but he did not sin. He did not sin. I always tell people, Jesus knows what it feels like to hit your thumb with a hammer, but a different word came out of his mouth than mine, probably. See, Jesus experienced everything so that he understands where we are. He understands how we feel. He understands our situation. He understands our attempts to prioritize, and he wants to help us. So in the coming weeks, we're going to look at several principles. I want to tell you where to start tonight. Write this down. It's your last blank. I know some of y'all are thinking I'm backslidden. I'm not going to give you this. Start with the Word. Start with the Word, the Word of God. Uh, you know, to know how to make the most of your time, you need to know the author of time. To know how to make the most of your time, you need to know the author of time. You need to know his purposes for you and the world, and you need to know uh, what to do with the time that he's given you. So if you haven't, I want to encourage you, you start a good quiet time, whether it's in the morning. If you're not a morning person, you hate the verses where it says Jesus got up early <laughs> or Jesus got up before daybreak. Oh, my goodness. But do this, write this down, verse 15. I didn't include it in your outline, but verse 15. It's five minutes of worship. Five minutes in the Word and five minutes of prayer. How many of you can do 15 minutes if you're not already? I mean, there's even an app that you can get on your phone that says First 15. And uh, just turn all your other notifications off because I know if you're like me, man, I, even preaching, things are like going across my screen up here. It's like, go away, go away. You know, you want to focus on five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship, five minutes in the Word. 
and, uh, and that app will help you. Your one-year one Bible will help you. The devotional that we've had, been some good devotionals lately. Get in the Word of God and get to know the altar of time. So bow your heads with me. And I want to just close this out with prayer and then I thank the band to come back up here and sing. We had a great altar time earlier. But I, wanna, I just want to, how many of you, you think you can, we need to redeem our time. Anybody besides me? We need to redeem our time because these days are evil. And let me tell you, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy your, your loved ones. He wants, he doesn't want your nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren, your sisters, your brothers, your parents. He doesn't want them to know Jesus. He wants them to die without Christ. He doesn't want you to have freedom from strongholds in your life. Folks, we've got we've to buy that time back and allow Jesus to, to give us that time back so that we can do what God wants us to do so that we can so we can fulfill as much as he wants us to do here he's going to finish it up he's going to finish it up I hear people say all the time come Lord Jesus come I'm going hold up hold up I got some relatives aren't saved yet I'm not sure about my grandkids you know I, I, man I want to be I want to know I want to know Hell is real. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And, uh, and so uh, I don't want anybody I know to ever see hell. And, uh, and, and so we need to pray. We need to pray for opportunities, for our loved ones. I've got a whole list of some of y'all's relatives that I'm praying for all the time. Might be a husband, might be a son-in-law, or laws. I'm praying for them every day. Praying for God to give somebody, whether it's me or them or you or somebody, an opportunity to see them come to faith in Christ. So, Father, we just right now, we, we close out this service before we close the worship. God, you see, you saw the hands that went up, people that say, I need to, I need to redeem some time. I need, to, I need to do a better job. And so, Lord, I pray as just we look at you, we just learn to put our priorities right. And, Lord, that we will start by putting you first. First part of the day, we'll get up 15 minutes early. We'll do that first 15. And we'll just spend some time in the Word, some time in worship, and some time in prayer. And so, God, I pray that you just wake everybody up tomorrow, a little bit before the alarm clock goes off, a little bit early. They're not doing it yet. And, Lord, help us to, to start that time with you, to get to know you, the author of time. And so, God, we thank you for that. Lord. I pray for anyone here that maybe doesn't have a relationship with you, God. That tonight they will cry out to you and just say, God, come into my life. I, if, you're, if you're here and you don't know if an asteroid hit this building, whether you live or die, you need, to, you need to cry out to God right now in your heart of hearts and say, God, I, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And you ask Him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. You know what He'll do? He'll come into your life and give you your sins and, and, and it's like a weight being lifted off of you when that happens and then he will he will begin to set you free you don't get free from some addictions you just you keep pouring into Christ you get your relationship with Jesus stronger those addictions are going to get weaker and I'm talking about an honest relationship with Jesus I'm not talking about religion I'm talking about you and Jesus and just pray right now God get come into my life 
save me, be the Lord of my life. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to live for you every single day. Set me free from those things that from anything that's keeping me from following you. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we prepare to sing, as we get ready to go, Lord, I pray that you help each one of us to be a light in a dark world. You said, redeem the time because these days are evil, Lord. Help us to make the best use of our time. Give us God opportunities as we go about our work tomorrow. Lord, let us do our work with excellence. Maybe it will cause somebody to question us and we can share you with them. But Lord, let us always be walking with, with eyes looking for opportunities to just share your love with somebody. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to stand up. We're going to close out with worship.